Robinson. There's Bergeron on one timer. Save Robert. Rebound loose on the top of the crease. Rashawn score! Bergeron! Bergeron! In game seven! Hello out there. We're on the air. It's hockey night tonight. This is the Dump and Chase Podcast with Mike Rennell. The milk on the bottom is colder. No, it's not. Obviously, you've never been locked overnight in a dairy storage facility. Yo, you don't even know what stupid is. It's about to get all stupid up in here. Presented by ESPN New Hampshire. This is your time. That's what we're here for, guys, to win. All right, welcome into episode five of the Dump and Chase podcast presented by ESPN New Hampshire. As always, I'm your host, Mike Grinnell, and we got a great show on tap for this episode. NHL regular season just a few days away, so we'll dive into all that. I have a pretty special guest joining me today, active U.S. Army member and scout for the Redline Report and Montican Wildcats. Did I say that right, Kirk? Thank you for joining me, but did I say it right? Uh, Moncton Wildcats. Moncton Wildcats. Yeah. Of the Quebec Major Junior League? Yeah. So, Kirk, thank you for joining me. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of your work, and, and I'm glad to have you on. Well, Mike, I uh, appreciate it. I think it's apropos that uh, this is part of ESPN New Hampshire because I am a son of the Granite State, grew up in Hudson, and uh, you know, just a lot of uh, connections still there in uh, southern New Hampshire. And uh, so I, I appreciate you having me on today. Oh, and, uh, no problem. Columbus Day to you. Kirk, well, you're really the you know go-to guy, I'd say, for for Bruins prospects. And like I said, I really admire your work, and and we'll get into that. But first, you know, I really wanted to say thank you for your service, and because you know, not a lot of people, you know, are able to do what you do. And not only do you are you a a fantastic scout, but you serve our country. So why don't you tell me a little bit about that? You know, how long have you served, and um, you know, w- what you really do for the uh, for the army. Well, uh, so I, you know, in high school, I wanted to be two things because I figured out I couldn't be a pro hockey player pretty early on. Uh, I wanted to either, uh, you know, write, write about hockey, um, or be a soldier, um, because I was interested in going, uh, reserve officer training corps to have college paid for. Uh, I ended up, uh, taking the, the latter route and, uh, uh, went to, uh, went to college and ended up getting a commission in the U.S. Army in, in 1994. So I'm entering my 23rd year of service. Uh, and then what was interesting with the advent of the Internet was I was able to do both. I was able to have the best of both worlds. And, you know, when I was in high school, you didn't write and cover hockey unless you went to J school and went the traditional journalism uh, route. And that the idea of, of doing that didn't didn't appeal to me as much, really, because I couldn't afford it. I couldn't I couldn't afford to put myself through school. I, I needed help from Uncle Sam. And so I ended up in the army and I was on tanks uh, for the first 10 years of my career. And uh, while I was doing that, the internet got big and I started blogging on an old site called Hockey's Future that some of your listeners might be familiar with. Oh, of just course. Kinda, from, yeah, from there, uh, New England Hockey Journal came calling and I've been with uh, Siemens Media for, you know, since 2000. So entering my uh, 17th year with uh, that publication, and that really opened the door uh, for me to cover the Bruins. And uh, for the last about 12 years of the Army, I've been uh, working kind of on the public relations side. So careers winding down, and uh, hopefully I can uh, transition full-time to some kind of hockey capacity when when it's all over. But uh, 
you know, for now that's, that's why I've kind of been in some non-traditional hockey areas and covering the Bruins, uh, from locations anywhere but Boston, but it's been fun. Yeah. Kirk, where are you stationed right now? I'm currently stationed in uh, Fort Hood, Texas. Uh, I'm going to be leaving uh, that area and uh, moving up into the, uh, Northern Kansas, Omaha, Nebraska area, and that's a that's a good solid area. For USHL hockey, yeah, USHL and and draft draft analysis, which is what I what I really you know that's where my passion is anyway, and, and what I'd like to do, um, you know, hockey related. I mean, you know, covering the Bruins is fun, but it, it's it's hard to do it when you're not you're not in Boston. So barring a a move back to New England, um, it's not really uh, it's it's something I've gotten kind of further and further away from and trying to focus more and more on the NHL draft and, and, and doing work in a, in a hockey operations capacity versus more of a traditional media capacity. Is it tough to balance the two? Um, no, not really. It's just, uh, I think it's a natural extension. It, it all comes down to passion, Mike. Uh, you know, I'm passionate about player evaluations. It's something that even when I started out writing and, and, and blogging it, it, you know, and, and doing work for hockey's future, my mindset was always, you know, less towards writing articles and more towards assessing and, and, and ranking the prospects. And so that's just kind of something I've always had a, a keen interest in. And, and as I've, I've managed to, to, to do it over the years, I've learned a great deal. I think you learn things every time you set foot in a rink. And if, if the day comes where you're going to a rink to see a game and you think you've figured it all out and there's nothing else to learn, then you're probably missing the boat. So uh, I just really enjoy the learning experience and, and picking the brains of other scouts and, and many of the, the contacts I've met over the years that are NHL uh, scouts and are, are responsible for identifying the, the, the future uh, of the league. is It's exciting, and, and I've learned a great deal from those people, and I'm grateful for that opportunity. Kirk, now you were a goalie, right? Mm-hmm. You were. You yeah, were. Not, not a very good one. <laughs> And I, I won't. I, I can't claim to have played at any any really meaningful level in the, in the grand scheme. But I think one of the things playing that position does do for you is it allows you to to see the entire ice, play the whole game, exactly, and uh, gain an appreciation for you know for the for the sport. I think I think a lot of the, the better coaches and and, and managers um, were goalies have a have a history of that because you spend a lot of time watching. If you're not playing and surveying the entire ice surface, you know, with the, with the play in front of you, you're on the bench opening the door and closing the door for your teammates. And uh, so you, you spend a lot of time hearing the coaches um, and uh, focusing on the bigger picture. And I think that's, that's the value of, of the position uh, when you hang up the skates and you're not playing anymore. And, you, uh, and that's not to say that, that, that good coaches, you know, can't play the other positions. I just am naturally biased. And, and I think that some of the ability I have to kind of, Maybe maybe do assessments is, is directly related to the experience I had playing goal. But again, I didn't have substantial experience, and I'm not I'm not going to sit here and claim that I you know I really did anything. You know, my my playing career is 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 pretty pretty pitiful compared to you know what I've been able to do because of the passion and uh, for the game and, and and the knowledge that I've gained by you know through self study and, and being around others who know a great deal more than I do. Yeah, but most of our hockey careers are pretty pitiful you know <laughs> like you know i i wish i could sit here and, and brag about my hockey career but my hockey career was nothing too special either but you know kirk i, I gotta ask so being a goalie do, do you have a you know a, a special soft spot for scouting goalies or do you kind of do you like to stay away from that no i i really uh, i 
I take a holistic approach. So, I mean, there are, okay. there are times where I go to games and, and goaltenders are on my list with guys. They're on my watch list. And so of course I'm, I'm looking at them. Let me give you an example of a really good goaltender who's going to be available in the, in the 2017 NHL draft. And his name will be very familiar to a lot of uh, hockey fans that have been, been following the game for a while. Caden Primo, Keith Primo's son, uh, not a big center. He's a goalie. He's a big goalie. He's a very talented one. Uh, very athletic. Uh, what I liked about him is how focused he is, tracks the puck really well, and he's not leaky, and that pucks don't hit him and find a way to bounce into the net. So I've, I've been pretty impressed with him. Uh, Caden plays for the Lincoln Stars uh, of the USHL, and he is headed to Northeastern University. So hockey's fans will get a chance to look at him. This is a player I could see uh, easily landing in the top two rounds of the NHL draft if he, if he continues oh, wow. his solid play and development. So, um, so yeah, I mean, he was on my watch list when I, when I was uh, observing the Lincoln Stars earlier this season, and naturally I look at him, but, but really – I just approach it game by game, and, and, and if a goalie does something to stand, if he's on my watch list, I'm obviously looking at him, and then throughout the course of the game, I'm taking notes. But some, some goaltenders just are not on, the, you know, not on the radar, so they have to really kind of play their way you know, into, that, uh, into that. Now, I will tell you guys that, that battle hard and, and show a lot of heart uh, certainly stand out. And there's, a, there's a Latvian kid last year who had a heck of a game in the under-18s against uh, Sweden, named Marek Mittenj, and uh, we, we all called him Mittens, which I thought was a perfect <laughs> name for a goalie. And, and, and really, he was someone who, even though he wasn't on, on any draft list and he didn't end up getting drafted to the NHL, um, he certainly stood out because he showed a lot of heart and determination. He didn't give up. And really, and had it not been for a, a late goal uh, surrendered uh, on a, you know, with, with, the, with Sweden pulling their goalie and then an overtime loss, he would have pulled a big upset. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I certainly look at the goalies, but I wouldn't say that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm better at assessing them or worse or that I put more emphasis. It all just comes down to who I'm looking at during the course of the game that, you know, I just approach it with a with a priority of, of players because you can't really see them all and you can't really, if you, I think if you try to watch everyone in a game, then you're probably missing out. At some point, you have to narrow your focus and, and look at the guys that you're there to see. And uh, if you're trying to watch everyone, you know, I think you kind of, you get lost in the sauce a little bit. Now, Kirk, you you mentioned Keith Primo's son, and you know, you know, I'm I'm a young guy, so it's not. I just I never really feel old, and and that makes me feel old because he's a guy I grew up watch watching play. And anywho, you know, you mentioned that his son might go in the top two rounds as a goalie, and uh, you know, it, it it's not really likely you see goalies go early like that, correct? Well, you know, it's kind of gone in cycles. So for a while, I mean, you, you did. I mean, you had you had goaltenders that were were being, you know, for you know, certainly in the '80s when I was growing up, no, uh, goalies in the first round were a rarity. And then you started in the early 2000s. You saw guys like Ricky DiPietro and Mark Andre Fleury going yep. first overall, which was which was a first. Uh, and then you know, pretty regularly you were seeing goaltenders drafted in the first round. But over the last couple of years, you've seen you know teams kind of get away with it. Although you know you do have the later picks up. Uh, um, yeah, the, the Ilya Samsonov, for example, for the Washington Capitals, yeah. and that, and then uh, the Tampa Bay goalie, and his name's escaping me, um, but he was a first-round pick a few years back, you know. But I think we could see we could see potentially, um, you know, one or two get you know go in the first round this year. Uh, there's a kid, interestingly enough, a kid named Michael B. Pietro, 
<laughs> no relation to Rick, um, but he does play for uh, the Windsor Spitfires of the OHL. He's he's a guy that has potential to be a first round pick this year, and maybe even BU's Jake Ettinger might might work his way into the mix. So it, it just kind of goes in cycles, and teams tend to you know look at uh, look at the goaltending position a little differently in terms of. Either there's there's risk involved. Goalies uh, develop on a different timeline, and uh, yeah, you have to be willing to invest not only a, a high pick in a goaltender, but you have to you know be willing to invest some patience because you know the Tom Barrasso's who come in and play right away and, and become NHL stars right away as he did uh, are 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 the exception, not the rule. So well, you know the reason I I asked is. You know, Malcolm Subban, I, I, I kind of mm-hmm. wanted to get into him a little bit because, you know, the, the second you mentioned goalie draft in the first round, first thing I thought, Malcolm Subban. What, mm-hmm. What's going on with him, Kirk? Is, is, is Are we going to see him develop into, you know, a legitimate goalie or is he just going to, you know, keep... Because I know goalies take longer. It, it, yeah. it's, it's a, it takes a little bit while, a little bit longer, but then you see kids like, you know, Matt Murray step in in the Pittsburgh playoffs playoff run and... You know, be able to dominate, yeah, yeah, no. dominate like he did. Yeah. I know, and uh, you know, it's it's drafted the same year, right? So, um, or maybe Murray was 2011, but uh, I think they were, I think they were both 2012 guys. Uh, yeah, th- here's the thing with Subban. When the Bruins drafted him, it was based on potential, projectionable. Look, like this guy has major league athleticism and physical gifts that are off the charts. And so if he continues to develop on his current trajectory, he could be an NHL star. I, I, I'll be honest. I did not like the pick at the time. I felt it was a, a needless luxury. Like I wasn't sure what, what the Bruins were doing. They didn't need to take a goalie there. Why would you, you know, why would you expend a first round pick at that spot on a player like Subban? Another thing working against him, Mike, is that Malcolm came late to the position he he was he was behind the power curve in that he had been skating out for for much of his life and he didn't start playing the position I believe till he was 13 years old, which is significantly yeah, later wow. in the development curve than most. So so he had some major technique issues, and uh, I remember I learned to eat some humble pie on Sudan because I was so sure that if the Bruins were going to draft a goalie in the first round, it wouldn't be him. Now, I've softened in my approach over the years since then because I see a, I see why they took him because he really does have just this ability that is that is unlike many others. I mean, there are some people, goalies out there, that just athletically and physically can't hold a candle to him. But the technique continues to be you know, kind of a, a challenge and a hurdle and an obstacle to overcome. And what's exacerbated that and added to his developmental timeline, unfortunately, is just the setbacks he's had, uh, whether it be injury last year, hit getting hit in the larynx, just as he was really overcoming a poor start, which in fairness was due to lower body injury. He had, yeah. he had a groin issue and that, you know, if you're a goaltender and you're, you're nursing, you know, lower body Injuries. That's it's extremely tough to play the position if you're not 100. percent Not to make excuses for him, but at the same time, it isn't surprising he played poorly. Uh, but he really was turning it around, and then he gets knocked out for the rest of the season. Prior to that, he was having trouble establishing himself because other goalies, Jeremy Smith, were were just outplaying him and 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 taking away from the expected playing time. 
that that we saw. So he's been a disappointment to date. I think the Bruins can afford to, and I and I just saw news. It looks like he got sent down, which we knew that was going to happen, right? Because they yeah. signed Anton Hudobin, right? They're not going to carry three goalies. But this is an important year for Subban once and for all. He's got to stay healthy and he's got to be consistent and be a number one workhorse goalie in the AHL. And he'll get that opportunity. I mean, Zane McIntyre will spell him, and I think they'll make a good duo. But last year, because Subban was injured the first month, McIntyre was forced into the lineup prematurely, and he wasn't ready. And so I think you know the, the Providence Bruins struggled at times because McIntyre was kind of thrown in the fire. And then when Subban did get in, he wasn't ready to go physically. And so there were some hiccups early on. And that never underestimate the power that, that confidence plays in. Oh, yeah. So I think it's it's important for Subban's confidence to, to, to be healthy and to get off to a good start. And I think, you know, he played well. Uh, he played well, pretty well in the in the preseason. I mean, nothing like it wasn't it wasn't spectacular, but he didn't do anything that should have anyone being be worried. But the real proof in the pudding is going to be how does he perform over the entire course of the season. And then if something happens to Hudobin or Rask, he's going to get his opportunity. And when he comes up, he's got to be ready and he's got to be better than he was in his very limited uh, stint with against St. Louis, which, you know, was quite an unfortunate uh, <laughs> happenstance uh, of, of a game for him. But, uh, but, but you know what, again, it's, it, it, if Malcolm Subban's name was Malcolm Smith and he hadn't been taken in the first round, I don't think people would be making a huge deal. Of exactly. It because of who he is and, and what was expected of him in the draft position. I mean, he's got to step up and he's got to start performing. So you know, at this point, the clock is ticking and the Bruins are, you know, at, at this point, they've got, you know, they've got to make a decision at, at some point with them, especially Kirk, with expansion coming up. Kirk, let's stick with the Bruins here. You know, they open up the season on Thursday against the Blue Jackets. You know, after missing out on the playoffs the last two years, uh, you know, a lot of headlines head, heading into the season that I do want to, you know, talk about Claude Julien's future with the team, you know, the defense, implementing young players in the lineup, you know, new roster additions and, and you know what, let's start there. Let's start there with the new roster additions. You know, really not many changes from last season. Not really many new phases in the locker room. But, you know, the Bruins did go out and get one big name this offseason, that being David Backus. Now, I, I've said it from day one. I think the Bruins fans are really going to love this guy just due to, you know, his physical play, the, the passion that he brings every night. And, you know, I, I've said it all along. I think they've needed a guy like Backus and not, not just what he brings on the ice, but what he brings off the ice. I just, I, I think they need an in-your-face leader like that that they really haven't had since since Sean Thornton and, and Kirk. I know you're, you know, pretty connected with some of the players. So, you know, what, what would what would a guy like David Backus, what is he going to bring to this team? How important is having a guy like him, you know, in the locker room? No, number one, he brings he brings instant experience and credibility. I mean, he was a captain of his team. Uh, they went to the Western Conference Final. I, I saw a lot of some of the criticisms about about the age. Is you know, those are valid criticisms, and the concerns about the cap hit those are valid. But some of the more invalid things was the the cherry picking I saw about his playoff history. Well, you know. It, you, Based on what he just did this past spring, that's kind of silly to focus on other previous years when St. Louis was running into you know pretty superior teams in the in the early rounds of the playoffs, and then um, this year he he finally 
you know, he and his teammates broke through and, and beat a very good Chicago Blackhawks team, which arguably was expected to, to repeat as Stanley Cup champions. <laughs> oh, yeah, they were, um, they were real good. Yeah. So um, he actually had a very good playoff. And so I don't really understand the argument that his, his playoff performance, uh, you know, should be a, a, a red flag when, in fact, he played probably the best hockey of his postseason career this past spring. Now, having said that, what he really brings to the locker room is, is, uh, is the ability, I think, to bring people together. Um, you know, he, one, of the, one of the players I talked to said uh, he's got a real um, – he's got a real – funny side to him so he get he, he's serious and 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 demanding uh when it's time to go to work but he's also got a good sense of humor which that's what guys want in the locker room you know exactly. in the dressing room you know the, the mark messiers are are a special kind of breed but that that intensity can at times be self-defeating um because that intensity brings a, a level of intimidation for some uh and some guys just don't feel comfortable and they they might go into a shell and, and back is seems to have that that ability to get in your face if you're not carrying your weight but but by and large according to several of the, of the players I've talked to came in right away and, and was a good guy it made a made a concerted effort to get to know everyone in the room and and again has that sense of humor that's important uh, so he's you know he's an experienced player uh, on both sides of the puck uh, he's he's a multiple 30 goal guy in the past don't know if he'll be that player for Boston they certainly are paying paying for it to be that way but there are other things he can he can bring to the mix and i think ultimately uh the room needed a guy like Backus because when you lose a, a player like louis erickson who is respected uh for different reasons you have to be able to bring someone else in or else the, the players start looking around and saying well hey what are we doing what's our plan you know we just lost the key element of our team and, and you know who's coming in to fill the void and uh, so Bacchus was a big, a big uh, boost to the credibility. And then also, I think it, it speaks volumes that Brad Marchand signed so quickly, you know, his extension. That shows you where, where, where his thought process is and his belief in the organization. So uh, I, I think Bacchus is going to be a positive addition. And, uh, you know, we'll have to see how he looks later on. But I just go back to his very first press conference when he fielded about his third question about his age. And he said, guys, I'm 32, not 52. Uh, and that kind of broke the ice a little bit and kind of got people off the, off the age thing. Uh, he gets it. He also knows there's a lot of pressure on him, but he's, he's been under pressure before. And I think, uh, I think he's a good fit for Boston and, and the kind of external pressures that he'll, he'll face being in a demanding uh, sports town and hockey town like, uh, like Boston is. Kirk, you know, in your experience in, in all these years in hockey, how how important is it to have that, you know, great, great locker room chemistry? Because, you know, I, I, I get excited hearing you say that, you know, David Back, he's a real funny guy. You know, I, I just feel like they've missed that, you know, type of leader in that locker room. And I'll tell you a story because I, I really stress locker room chemistry. It's something, especially in hockey, that I, I feel is so important. In high school, my hockey, high school hockey team, and I hate to go back like this, but I secretly love it, but in high school, my high school hockey team came, in, came into the season number two, I think we were number two or three in the state of Massachusetts. You know, v- highest the public school has been ranked in, I don't know, but we, we, we were supposed to be, you know, the best of the best. People were calling us Burlington Catholic and, and all that jazz. And we hated each other. We all hated each other. 
I mean, halfway through the season, we were getting in fights in the locker room, and, and you know, we had all the talent in the world, but we hated each other, and we never went anywhere that season. The next season, the, the team came in, and much less talented team at Burlington High School, and, you know, they went on to go win back-to-back state championships because they stressed team chemistry. So, you know, just in your experience, you know, how, how important is, you know, team chemistry in the locker room? No, it's certainly important. It's a factor just like anything else. I mean, you have to have talent, um, but it's a balance, right? And so, you know, this is, this is one of the, the great conundrums, you know, when you, when you, especially on Twitter, when you see people advocating stockpiling of talent. And, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's that, I call it the EA NHL sports uh, <laughs> effect where people go on computers, you know, and they play, they, they, they'll make all these trades and they'll bring all these immensely talented computer players and put them on a, you know, put them out there and, yep. and they do well on a computer game. And they think, well, you know, reality should imitate that outcome. And the in real life is not that simple. I mean, you're, you're exactly right. There are, there are personalities and there are fits. There are people who are good, good for a team uh, and people who are immensely talented and not so good for a team because for whatever reason, they don't buy in, they're not comfortable. They don't, you know, they do their own thing. They're they're They put their own agenda ahead of the teams and, you can criticize the Bruins for maybe being putting too much of an emphasis on chemistry and, and, and finding uh, players that embrace the values ahead of, uh, you know, just the, the ability to play the game. And, and there are always going to be people I think out there, that are going to say, no talent should be the number one. And if someone's a, you know, a bit of a, a you know, has character questions or concerns or, or doesn't have your team's values, you should be okay with that. You just have to live with that. And, I mean, it's one of those arguments where you you can argue it either way, and there are those who are going to say leadership and, and intangibles like character and, and, and embracing a team's values is overrated, and, and, you know, again, you can't really prove definitively that that position is wrong, but what I will offer you is this, is that ultimately the teams that are writing the checks, they're spending millions of dollars on these players, we're coming because of social media and the way just life is in general and what is asked of these teams and social interactions and charity and giving back to the communities, teams have to invest in these players and it goes beyond the on ice product. So if a guy's a dirt bag who isn't interested in, in, in going above and beyond and, and, and helping carry that team's brand off the ice, as well as he is going out and scoring goals or, you know, winning games, doing what it takes, then teams have to make a decision at some point. They have to they have to look very hard at okay this person's character and ask themselves is this someone we really are willing to invest millions of dollars in keeping because he is he is going to be our ambassador. He's going to be our brand. And uh, you know some folks might listen to that and say hey that's silly and you know, okay, but I'm telling you that's that. That's how more and more this stuff is working. And that's why the guys who have both the talent and the character, you know, the Patrice Bergerons of the world, for example. The Jonathan Tays. Yeah, they're they're gold Mm -hmm. because they get it. They understand that the game is bigger than themselves and that that the team is bigger than themselves and that whatever they do, and this is why, and I'll I'll tell you a story that's that's interesting. So I, I remember when Phil Kessel was playing on the Bruins still, 
And I remember watching him leave the practice facility. And again, it, you know, look, Phil, Phil Kessel is a Stanley Cup champion. He's one of the most insanely talented players, American players, certainly to ever ever play the game. Oh, Kirk, I know, um, I know, right where you're going with this. I used to, as yeah. a little kid, I, I lived right down the street from the Wilmington rink. You know, he'd he'd boot out the back way. He boot out the back way, right? I I saw people like scrambling out of the way. He was, I remember he was driving a Porsche Cayenne at the time. But you know, boom, you know, right. I out remember the, that like right it was yesterday. <laughs> And then, and then, right behind them comes Patrice Bergeron. Yep. And I remember Bergeron stopping at the gate, and he signed every last thing. And that's no like it's not a big thing. That's you know. And again, if you, there are people who are going to kind of scoff at that and say, "Oh well, you know, that's just the way it is." And when you look at what Phil Kessel can do for your hockey team, you got to live with that. And I say okay, but I also say you can also you can also demand more of these people. If you're going to invest millions of them, you, it's, you ha- you're the one cutting the checks. You have the right to determine the future of your hockey club, and it's and it's it's more than just the on ice product. It's how they treat the fans, it's how they treat people in general, and you know, for Patrice Bergeron, it it's never been an act. You know, he's been as genuine. Yeah, at age 17, when I first met him at the national national draft, and he was more than a month away from from turning 18, uh, to what he is now, and so that's. Teams more and more are looking for those guys, those go-to guys that they can really, you know, build chemistry around. And I think back is is cut from that same kind of cloth. So it's a long answer, but again, it gets back to yes, team chemistry is important. It's a factor, though. I don't know that you you can afford to take a bunch of you know the teams the team uh, hockey ops people's job is to find the right balance between the talent that will keep you in contention because ultimately your goal is to win the Stanley Cup each and every year. But to do it, the, you know, to, but to, to have a team that's going to go out and compete because it, it comes together with the right synergy. And that's hard. It's easier said than done. So there you go. Um, I think yep. uh, Bacchus certainly helps with the, in the chemistry department and his veteran leadership will be well received. Kirk, yeah, let's 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 stay with the Bruins here, and you know, I I think the biggest question heading into the season is the defense. You know, six one-way contracts, I believe, heading into the year. You know, you have some young guns in in Brandon Carlo and in Rob O'Gara trying to make the roster. You had a guy like Christian Ehrhoff, who it looks as though just got sent back to Germany today. It didn't look like he wanted to sign with the Bruins because uh, he wouldn't be in a top six role, according to That's to Bob. Very telling. Yeah, according to Bob McKenzie. I mean, he looked good. He looked good, I thought. Didn't didn't you think he looked pretty good? I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, good, good as, you know, compared to what? I mean, I will submit to you, the Bruins have plenty of Christian Ehrhoff types on their team right now. Okay. They don't, another Christian Ehrhoff type, what they don't have is your legitimate top one, two, three, you know, You've got Tory Krug up there with Zeneno, who's who's fading, um, needs to be protected. You know, can't can't do what he used to do. And so, is Christian Ehrhoff, you know, a legitimate top three defenseman anymore? No. I would submit to you, he's not. He's more of a four, five, six, seven. And you don't need, you know, it's not it, it's not how many shiny new toys can you you know can you acquire you know just have these guys sitting around. I mean, you've got to. You've got to make a move at the top if you really want to improve your team. And I just, I mean, did he look good? Sure. But, but, but are we talking top end guy compared to, you know, some of the guys they have already? I, I would submit to you that Erhoff would have 
constituted a marginal upgrade, probably would have blocked uh, someone, a younger guy, uh, who is going to cost you less uh, from from playing. And at this point, you know, just the the, the difference in, in performance is probably not going to be all that substantial. You know, save your cap space, save your contract. They were interested. Yep. I think they wanted him for depth, but he yep. wasn't interested at the role that they wanted to give him. And so I'm, I'm heartened because it tells me that the Bruins recognize yeah. he's just not that good a player. He's yeah. not the guy, you know, who was helping the, the Vancouver Canucks. He, he had two just excellent years in Vancouver uh, in 2010 and 2011, and he's been nowhere near that guy since. And so to me, you know, Erhoff was more fool's gold. Bring him in. You know, he's a name guy. People get excited. Yeah, he scored a nice goal, and yeah, he looked at, he looked solid in the preseason. But, but really, is he that is he that much better than a John Michael Lyles? Is he that much better than a Joe Morrow? You know, flip a coin because I don't yeah. think it's definitive. So that's that's really not surprised that he that he that he's heading home. He wants at this point. He wants to play a lot. And yeah. He's hoping. It could be in the NHL, but I think at this point he'll go back and he'll be a number one, two guy in Germany and more power to him. But and, and you know, I, I think the, the bees are best to move on. And I definitely agree with you that you know you need to you know make the change. You need to make a change up top, and it and it does seem as though the Bruins are, or at least in the preseason, are are, are giving a guy like you know Brandon Carlo a shot. Tell me a little bit about Brandon Carlo. Does he have you know what it takes? Do you think? To step in there and, and, and be a, you know, top pairing defenseman because no. it, well yeah he can play on the top pairing but there's a different but but Mike we, let's let's throw out the whole because you got to remember when you're talking number one two and three we're not talking about guys that are playing on the top pairing we're talking about legitimate you know top end defenders okay and that's different from a guy who you throw up on the top pair because you don't have yeah. You don't have anyone else. No, right? I, so, I want to know if he can be that guy that you can throw out there against a guy like Claude Giroux and say, you go shut him down. Um, yeah, but that's not, I mean, it, it, again, it is, I think there's been some, there's been some hype around Carlo. People have to understand he is a rookie. He's never skated a shift in the NHL. So there will be growing pains. Could you put him out on the top pair? Sure. Is he a classic number one, two, or three defenseman as that is defined in terms of being a two-way threat who's going to log upwards of 23, 24 minutes a night? He could be. I mean, Colton Pareiko uh, certainly Love stood him. out last year. But but we don't want to – I don't want to go there right now because okay. right now we don't have a body of work to measure it against. Does he look good in the preseason? Absolutely. Could he play on that top pairing? Yeah, he could, but that doesn't automatically make him – you know, a, a top two NHLB. What will what will make that, or what will establish that in time, will be a proven track record at the at the NHL, and that's what level, and that's what we're lacking right now in Carlo. Now, the good news about him is he's he's big. We're talking six foot five, but he's got a longer reach. He's, I've told other people this. His reach is more like a six foot seven defenseman. Wow. He's got longer arms, right? So he's got an extra couple inches worth of reach. Makes a big difference. So he's even more valuable in that regard. Yeah. Um, could he shut down Claude Giroux? It's possible, but we haven't seen it yet, right? So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna definitively say, yeah, you know, yes or no. 
certainly. I mean, there, there, there are battles that Carlo is going to win, and he's going to look good doing it. And then there are going to be times that he's going to get screwed into the ice, turned inside out, uh, and guys are going to score goals, or he's going to be out of position because he just doesn't have the experience. And so I think it's foolhardy uh, for people to look at Brandon Carlo as anything other than what he is right now, mm-hmm. and that is a very promising but raw and inexperienced young rookie. Does he deserve to be in this team? on this team? I think he does. I think he's done enough. And I think, you know, when it comes to a guy like Brandon Carlo, the, what, what helps him and puts him ahead of others uh, is just the size and the physical attributes. He can, he, you cannot teach his height and his reach, and he's mobile. Uh, and he's just, he's just a dominant shutdown guy, at least at the junior level. Can he carry that over to the NHL right away? We'll see. But I just think expectations should be tempered. You know, I, you know, when the Bruins got him in the second round, you know, people, I think, it's what I could see, people were just going gaga. Um, but the, but the, some of the things I was seeing was like, well, that's not really him. You know, yeah. not this big, snarly, you know, uh, hit-to-hurt-you kind of guy. Um, Victor Hedman-esque kind of, you know, kind of I mean, defensive. He's just, he's just smart. You know, he, you know he sticks, he's got his stick in the lane. You try to cut, you try to... Uh, to take, carry the puck around him, good luck, because you know it's kind of like circumnavigating the globe. You know he's really gonna, with that with that mobility, the ability to stay with you, and that reach, he's gonna force you way out of the lanes uh, and take you off of the angle. And that's really the name of the game in hockey. You know, I mean, you know, it's it's a game of time and space. It's also a game of angles, right? So yeah. So the more the closer in and the the higher, the, the more you can establish yourself in these what they call the high danger areas. Your, your statistical probability of scoring goals goes up. And so against a guy like Brandon Carlo, he makes it tough on you because you can't just skate around him because he's just he's mobile and he's got that big reach and he's very good with his gaps. Um, he plays a pretty mature game for a young kid, but we have to remember he's a young kid. And so um, you know there are going to be nights where he's going to get turned inside out and you know, to those fans that are going to be like, ah, oh, you know, going, you know, coming down on them like a, like a, like a ton of bricks. You have to say, well, you know, this is going to happen. You have to, you have to live and die by the sword, you know. And if you bring a young kid into the lineup, when what he really should, by all accounts, be doing is playing in Providence this year, then you're going to have some tough because the NHL is not a developmental league. Yeah, you know, definitely. What the AHL is for, right? Exactly. So it's going to be in at the deep end, kid, sink or swim on some nights and there are going to be some nights where he's going to be fantastic and you're going to make some great plays. And there's going to be other nights where that lack of experience is going to show. I just want fans to, you know, to acknowledge that, understand that and not be expecting, you know, this, this savior to come in, you know, right away and, and look like he's been playing, you know, years and years and just be calm and poised. Cause there's going to probably be some, there's probably going to be some, uh, you know, some running around and trying to do too much, but you know, I certainly like him, and and uh, I think, yeah, I think he'll play at some point. I just don't know what his role will be, and I think we just got to kind of be patient and, and take each game as it comes. And if he if he puts up a season similar to Colton Pareko, well, that would be that would be uh, you know a great uh, scenario for the Bruins for sure. Now, Kirk, you mentioned that you think Brendan Carlo deserves to make the team. Another kid, I I really thought you know he's been really impressing me thus far is uh, Austin Zarnick, and, and you know, mm-hmm. just, I, I thought he's looked fantastic so far, and, you know, you, you really got a feel for a kid after he took that, you know, cheap hit from from Gudis against the Philadelphia Flyers 
the other night. And, you know, so what can you tell, you know, Bruins fans about this kid? Because this is a kid that's, you know, really, you know, Bruins fans are just hearing his name for the first time and they're not really too familiar with this kid. Well, I mean, he was, he looked great last year. Um, so, you know, for, first thing to know is, you know, former captain at Miami University and Hobie Baker finalist. Um, you know, heck of a talent. Uh, should have been drafted, never was because of the size. Uh, but but when you talk about small guys, they have to do you know, that. The, the small guys have to have certain elements to their game. They need to be able to skate and have some explosiveness and some dynamic offense. And, and he, he brings that uh, he's creative. He can handle the puck at speed. Uh, he can, he can really back defenses up. And, and, and what I like about him is he's willingness, he's willing to go into traffic. So he's not out on the perimeter all the time. You know, some, some, you know, he's not what you, a player you would say, you know, plays scared. I mean, he'll go in and, and, and he's willing to take a hit to make the play. Um, and so a year ago, he looked really good in his first uh, training camp, and then he carried that over. He and Vetrano were really lighting it up early on in Providence, and then Frank was recalled, and Zarnik stayed down in Providence, and he just kind of consistently performed. He didn't quite I think he had 61 points in 68 games. But you have to remember, I mean, that's as a brand-new rookie pro at the exactly. AHL level. So he's putting up almost a point per game for Providence. And Butch Cassidy's a tough guy to play for because he's very demanding and you can't just go out and be a one-dimensional player for him. You have to you have to show a willingness to do the little things. And so I think when you look at the usage for a, a brand-new rookie pro and, and, and see that, that as the season went on, Cassidy was trusting him more and more and putting him in more and more uh, key situations. That speaks volumes to the maturity and the trust factor that he, he established. And so it's not really that surprising that he's, that he's standing out in, in um, you know, this year's training camp because he's, he's not only playing well and, and showing off his skills, but he's producing. And uh, it's, it's disappointing, you know, for sure that, that, he was, that he was hit, hopefully. And, again, I was, I, I was given the timeline of, of seven to ten days by someone with the team. We'll see what, you know, we'll see what, that ha- you know, what happens there. Hopefully it's less um, and not more, but with, with head injuries, we just don't know. And uh, the team's been kind of mum, so that tells me, you know, if he was okay, uh, they would have come out by now and said, yeah, there's nothing here. He's good. He's cleared. He's back, right? So the yeah. fact that they haven't come really out with a with a with uh, with an update on his progress should tell you all you need to know. I mean, there's definitely – there is an injury. I uh, suspect it is a concussion, as I've been told. Um, and – as far as severity, we'll have to see, but it's it's disappointing for him because he's certainly tracking to be in their opening night roster, and and he deserved that. I mean, he earned that. And this is again a player who skill wise certainly should have been drafted, probably skilled enough to be a top three pick, but the size just scared NHL teams off, and so he had to go and prove himself in college. And you know, truth be told, uh, I was I mean, when you when you consider that the Bruins signed. Um, within a span of 60, 70 days, they signed Frank Vetrano, Austin Zarnick, and Noel Achari uh, all out of college as free agents. That's, pre- that's a pretty impressive haul out of the NCAA ranks. Exactly. And you have to give Ryan Nato and the staff, uh, the Bruins scouts, and everyone that, that, that pulled together to identify those, those guys. Um, uh, Fitzy, um, you know, Scott Fitzgerald, uh, who's the assistant director of amateur scouting, and Ryan Nato, as I said earlier. I think of those guys a lot of credit because they not you know 
teams can sign guys every year, but they've they've drafted three players who, if Zarnik makes the team here, um, will all have NHL experience, and that's that's pretty rare to get three undrafted free agents out of college uh, that are all contributing to the NHL team sooner rather than later. So. Pretty impressive. Let's talk about Danton Heinen here, Kirk, because Danton Heinen's mm-hmm. another name, you know, prospect coming into this camp, you know, a kid out of the University of Denver. You know, I, I was a big fan of him. He seems like a kid that's, you know, I, at least I hope is going to be able to put the puck in the net at the NHL level. You know, what can you what can you tell Bruins fans about about this kid? Well, yeah, he was uh, a... <laughs> He was a surprise pick. He was a classic under the radar. You wouldn't you wouldn't find him on any draft lists back in 2014 because he he had been he was a, a year older and he had been completely passed over. He's someone that kind of hit a growth spurt later on. So in his first year of draft eligibility, he was much smaller uh, and just not a not a not a guy that that anyone saw as a pro prospect. But a funny thing happened that he hit a major growth spurt and played really well in the BCHL. Uh, tier two junior league and was recruited heavily by, by Denver university. And, uh, uh, the Bruins and several other NHL teams, um, were in on him very quietly. And, uh, the Bruins knew they were going to have to take him sooner rather than later. And they did. You have to give them credit. They stepped up in the fourth. The the pick, the pick certainly generated a lot of scratch, scratching heads, um, present company included, because nobody really knew anything about him. But as soon as we saw him in, in Denver, what stood out to me is he's a very he plays a very mature, uh, refined game. Uh, he's he's a less is more player. He's not flashy and dynamic like Austin Zarnick. Like Zarnick jumps out at you because he's just so speedy and yeah. cuts in and out of lanes. And and uh, Heinen is a much more of a you know slow slow the pace down, uh, you know head up. Uh, thread the needle with pass. Krejci-esque. Uh, yeah, does very good wall work, but he's a winger. You know? Yeah. He's a, he's a playmaking winger, but he can play all three positions. He played center and junior, moved over to the left wing as a freshman, was played right wing last year, and, and that's the kind of stuff that the Bruins love. They love versatility in their force, because that's a kid that conceivably, you know, if their center gets thrown out of the face-off dot, they can put him in there, and he's not, you know, he's, he's had some experience. Uh, if you get injuries or you're decimated, you can move them around. Um, and the thing with him, it's so funny. The, one of the problems with the internet is the hype, you know? So when you go and you, you rave about a guy and I'm raving about Heinen cause he's doing the little things that really impress me. Like the wall work. Yeah. I love wall work. You know, I love, you know, when a guy can go in and he doesn't just hurl himself into the middle of a scrum. He takes a split second to look and kind of see, okay, where's the puck in there? And instead of just going in and becoming part of the scrum, he kind of he, he did this against uh, the New Jersey Devils rookies where he skated up to the wall and he saw his teammate. You could see him. You could, you could see that he recognized it because he didn't go right in, but he could see his teammate was going to win the, win the battle along the wall for the loose puck, and he backed off. And his teammate popped the puck to him, and then he turned around and whipped it out to Jake DeBrusque, who fired it in the net. That impre- that kind of stuff impresses me, because that's someone who can really process. He's got a high-end CPU inside his head, and he, he just has a natural instinct for the game. Now, to the average layman, maybe they see that, maybe they don't. But there's a there's an element of fandom that are like I want to be entertained, entertain <laughs> me, you know. And so they look at Heinen and they're like, well, what's this guy do? 
you know, because he's kind of just kind of skating around yep. and and he doesn't really you don't really notice him until he makes a really good play. Um, but there's a there's an element of of people out there that just that doesn't register and it doesn't oh, resonate. No. They're like, hey, I expected more. That's hockey hey, Twitter. Been pumping these guys' tires. What's going on? And and so Heinen is an acquired taste. Um, he's the thinking man's hockey player in that he's kind of a he's kind of a recce to me. Okay, you know, recce was that way. Recce he's a Hall of Famer too. So great skating, you know, and wasn't all that big. But recce was a playmaking winger who beat people because he just processed the game at, at a far superior level than most. Uh, and Heinen's kind of got that quick strike scoring capability that Recky did. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to be the next Mark Recky, but there's there are similar attributes. Um, when you look at these these wingers, and, and, and Louis Erickson is another one. I've heard, you know, heard people say there's Louis Erickson in, in, in um, Heinen's game, and those are valid. I, I prefer not to make the comparisons just because, again, it, it automatically – sets in someone's mind this expectation that whatever they saw Erickson or Recky doing, then Heinen had better do it on his first shift. And if they don't see it, then, you know, they're like, well, Hey, I'm not seeing it. And you know, they, they write him off, but you know, Heinen is a Claude Julien type of player uh, because he's smart and he's diligent and he's industrious and he's going to play in all three zones. He's not going to loaf on the back check, uh, has a clue what to do in his own end. Um, but he's but he's effective down in, in in the offensive zone. But yet, even even though I've been impressed with what I've seen, uh, I still see this. Ah, he's not really doing much. And yeah, you know, again, if you if you expect to be dazzled and brought out of your seat uh, on every shift, you're going to be disappointed. But I think you know, it's, as far as the coaches are concerned, uh, Heinen's probably put him in put himself in position to make this team right away. Now, Kirk, before before we uh, you know wrap up here, you know, I got to ask you in the system. You know, who are some guys that are poised to have a big year? I, I like Ryan Donato out of out of mm. Harvard. Um, you know, great player. I, great player. Uh, I think he's another kid with with uh, extraordinary hockey smarts. But who who are some guys you know on your radar for this upcoming season that you know are poised to to have a big year? Yeah, I'd say you're definitely. Yeah, I, I I agree 100 percent on Ryan Donato. Um, a lot of time for him when he was at Dexter and really he showed a lot in a very limited sample size with Omaha. And then in his first year at Harvard, uh, another, another player who's really um, already kind of breaking out here in his junior year is uh, Anders Bjork. Yeah. I had a four point uh, game for Notre Dame the other day. Um, you know, he's just, he's, he's a, he is a player who was drafted in the fifth round of 2014 as someone who is more of a defensive grinder, you know, really, real good speed, more of a defensive, uh, gr- you know, grind you down two way forward. But he, but, but the last two years in college, he's, he's emerged as an offensive threat. And if that, if he can keep building that and, and, and keep scoring, that's a, that's an exciting player because he, that's not the kind of guy you, you normally take in the fifth round. Uh, now having said that, what's going to be interesting is, the Bruins will want to sign him this spring, uh, if he if he has another you know very good year like he did a year ago, uh, leading the Fighting Irish in scoring. Um, because if he goes back to school for his senior year, then you have that potential for you know similar Jimmy Vesey situation where he declines to sign and then becomes a free agent you know on August you know fifteenth two thousand eighteen. We're still a ways away, so it'll be really interesting to see if if the Bruins can. 
uh, you know, can convince him to sign and come out, and I think he'd be a real good add. Trent Frederick scored his first uh, career co- college goal for Wisconsin as the game winner the other night. That's nice to see. Certainly Charlie McAvoy and, and Jacob Forsbacher Carlson are the, are the duo to watch at, at BU. Uh, sky's the limit for, for, for Charlie McAvoy. I believe he's going to play very well this season, and the Bruins are going to come calling and get, try to get him to turn pro this spring. And, um, you know, he could he could potentially be in a, in a Bruins lineup at the very end of the year, That'd be depending fun. on how far BU goes. Yeah, it all, it's all tied to how far BU goes, right? So if they, if they play into the Frozen Four, then well, that BU, may or may not happen. Isn't BU pretty good this year? Yeah, they're they're supposed to be really good. Yeah. Um, but you know, you never know, right? So if they yeah. go all the way to like like Denver a year ago, go all the way to the Frozen Four, then you know who knows what'll happen. Um, but if by any chance you know that they're unable to to meet or exceed expectations, and the Bruins and and again, it's all going to come down to Charlie McAvoy and what he wants to do too. Um, we got to look at what kind of season he's going to have. It's a little premature. I'm just saying it wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility uh, to see the Bruins come calling because he'll have two two college years under his belt, and uh, I don't I don't know that he would be if he continues to develop the way he did last year. And you assume that he takes another big step in his his uh, progression, yeah, as a, as opposed to regressing. And, and we don't know that because it's you know it's October. There's a lot of hockey to be played. But if we assume that he's going to progress. It would be hard for me to imagine him going back for a junior season, whereas the Bruins would probably want to get him into the system and and get him signed, and and they could do that. But um, you know they can't sign. You know the moment he signs, then he gives up all college eligibility. So he'll play this season out in BU, and then uh, you know when their season ends, um, I think there's a very good chance that that the Bruins are trying to convince both both of McAvoy and maybe JFK. Uh, to turn pro, but we'll JFK see. as well. Lot, lot to happen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think so. Possible. I mean, again, you know, it, you can leave them in college for another year, uh, or you can bring them out, and then you control you control their development. Yeah. You know, so they're playing for you in Providence, or they're yeah, these are college players, so they're not subject to the uh, to the junior hockey rule. Yeah. So you know, they're either on your roster at the NHL or they're down in the AHL, but you have a much you know better. Uh, better hand on them and and getting them to do the things you want to do. But like I said, this is it's it's premature, and I'm speculating, um, which is something I don't tend to like to do. But you know what else? What else are we going to do on a on a Columbus Day? I suppose. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, uh, the, the Bruins have a lot of a lot of depth. There's a lot of guys we didn't get to. Zach Sinitian, uh Oh, I'm a big you know, Sanitian fan. Gabriel, yeah, Jesse Gabriel's playing well, and Prince George and. But he's really physically added some mass to his frame. And, How about Fitzgerald? And, uh, yeah, you know he's uh, he's he's one that uh, he's going to be interesting to watch because he's always been that really good college player. Yeah, and uh, he'll have the he'll have the opportunity to either sign with Boston if he wants to pursue his childhood dream, or say, hey, no thanks. Uh, you got a lot of depth in the system that's forward, and I'll just, I'll, you know, I'll, I'm going to pursue my options as a free agent. You know, oh, I hope not. It'd be one of those things where you would, you really would, you would like to see the Bruins sign him, uh, but at the same time, 
you know, the, the question is, yeah. you know, what is, what is uh, Ryan Fitzgerald going to be at the NHL level? Yeah. I think that, I think there are legitimate questions about that right now. He's kind of hard to project. He could be kind of one of these, these tweeners again, who's, you know, uh, just a dynamic college player and probably going to be a very good minor pro player at the least, but what is he at the NHL level? So if he wants to, you know, throw his hat in the ring with the Bruins and, and try to make it with the hometown team, you know, more power to him. I, I certainly think the Bruins would, would welcome that, but I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to make a big, you know, big bidding war. And if he, if he decides, Hey, I just as soon uh, see what else is out there. Um, you know, that, that, that could happen as well. But I, I think Fitzgerald is going to have a huge year at, at, at BC and they're really going to need him to have a huge year at BC because, uh, that team's taken some hits, lost some players to the pro ranks last year. And so they're really going to need him to step up. And I think if anyone can, it's Ryan Fitz. I mean, he's a, he's a yep. outstanding player at the, uh, at the hockey East, you know, D one college level. And I think he's going to, he's going to be vying for a Hobie Baker. I think, I think at the end of the year, when you look at the Hobie Baker finalists, Ryan Fitzgerald, as long as he can stay healthy, but you know, you know, knock on wood, uh, Ryan Fitzgerald should be in that mix. Cause uh, he's that good. Kirk, you know, I hate to do this to you, but I, I every week I or every episode I, I I ask my Twitter followers, the Dump and Chase Twitter followers, if they have any questions for my guest. So we're gonna play a little EA Sports hockey here, like you said, and and I gotta ask you because I'm sure you get hit with this question all the time because I got about five or six questions with this guy's name in it. Jacob Truba, is there any chance the Bruins trade for this guy, and and what would it cost to to get a guy like this? Real quick. Is there a chance? Sure. I, I believe they're very interested in him. Uh, and Truba is intriguing. I mean, if you look at the statistics, he's, he is like undervalued statistically. Um, because I believe that Jacob Truba, we saw as a rookie who scored 10 goals and really had people just going gaga over his potential in Winnipeg and across the league. Uh, we haven't seen that guy the last couple of years. You know, he's been out of sorts and, you know, not, not put in, in, in prime positions. I think a change of scenery would do him a world of good. The problem with the Bruins and the Winnipeg Jets and Jake and Truba is they're not great trading partners. The Bruins, like when you look at what the Jets need and what they're going to want for Truba, the Bruins are not really in a position to give up things to make a direct trade now could they trade tory krug sure but why would they do that that's like robbing peter to pay paul um okay so <laughs> you just you just added a young right shot defenseman you've just given up your left your best guy on your left side uh and oh by the way we love tory krug why would you trade him exactly he is, he is a tremendous player but he's also a tremendous character leader when i talk about bruins ambassadors and i talked about patrice bergeron the other guy the defense guy on the team who is the Patrice Bergeron, who's the guy who goes out of his way to represent the Boston Bruins spoke to be and the organization with the utmost class and, and doesn't say no is Tory Crew. Oh, right? without a doubt. So why would you, why would you trade him? Yeah, so no, that, no question. So, so the problem for the Bruins is they just don't have a lot to give Winnipeg to get true. So what they would have to do is Don Sweeney would probably have to, figure out a creative way to get a third team involved uh, that would give, you know, be willing to, you know, the Bruins make a deal with them. And then for the assets that Winnipeg would want 
uh, and then they would have to flip that. And, uh, and so, so players go to, to a third team, and Winnipeg gives up Truba to Boston. Uh, and the problem with that is that's complica- that complicates things. You know, from Winnipeg's perspective, they don't have to trade Jacob Truba. They can kind of just be patient and let things play out because at some point in December, he'll have to make a decision as to whether he sits out the whole year, which will undoubtedly hurt him because he's not getting any money, right? Um, or just come to the table sign and 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 again hope that he plays well enough to force his way out so shovel day off in winnipeg kevin shovel day off the gm he can afford to be patient he's not in any position to have to move um the bruins are in a situation where if the season starts and their defense is underperforming and they're getting killed don sweeney is in a tougher and tougher position because everyone knows he's desperate and needs an upgrade right yeah and so what Don Sweeney has to hope is that some of these guys that, that, that his defense is currently constructed um, step up and, and, and play well enough so that the Bruins aren't so desperate uh, as to the GM to be seen over a barrel because teams can really put the screws to you. Oh, you want a defenseman? Sure, we'll give you a defenseman. But I know you need him, so let you know the asker is going to be astronomical. And I know some people don't want to hear that, and they're yeah. like, hey, you know, just get it done. Yeah, well, it's not that you know, easy. It's not takes, that easy. Takes two to tango. For Don Sweeney, he has to, you know, he has to be, he has to be a little more circumspect. And you know, who's to say? I mean, I believe Jacob Truba. If you're going to go out and get a guy now, that's going to upgrade. And and remember what I said earlier. Erhoff is more of the same. You know, the the bottom guys that they they have no shortage of. They have plenty of these. John Michael Lyles guys. guys. Yeah, Lyles and McQuaid and Miller and you know, you know, they're fine, right? Yeah, that's not what the Bruins really need. I think Truba is getting to the heart of what you have to do, and that's upgrade the top end of your defense, because potentially you get a Truba, and then you're adding a Charlie McAvoy in a couple of years, potentially, and then you know maybe you know who knows, you know whether it's Zaboral or it's Lozon or it's. Uh, you know, and then and then Carlos coming into his own, and okay, you know, so there is a potential to where you don't want to give up too much for a guy like Truba, only to find out that you had answers in your system all along. Yeah, you just had to be more patient. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. But is there a chance? Sure, there's a chance. Is am I hearing things like think talks are imminent, or am I hearing any rumors that link the Bruins def- definitively to a move? No, I'm not hearing anything, and. And again, I try not to speculate idly on trades. If I hear something, I pass it on, you know, from a good source, a credible source, uh, I'll pass it on. But I'm not one that just, you know, sits around, you know, dreaming up fantasy scenarios. And I I couldn't tell you, you know, who the Bruins would need to give up to, let's say, Anaheim, uh, you know, hypothetically for then Anaheim to give up to Winnipeg so that the Bruins could get true. But I don't know. You know, it's not really my bag, but... uh, but if you ask me, do I think Truba would make sense? Yes, absolutely. And do I think a trade could be made? Potentially, but it's not going to be easy. Perfect. I love it. We'll leave it right there, Kirk. A special thanks to you, Kirk Ludicky of the Redline, the Redline Report, New England Hockey Journal, one of the best scouts in the business, and an active U.S. Army member. Kirk, thanks for your service and, and thanks for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me on. And, you know, I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. And, uh, you know, I guess we'll. The new season is on, uh, is upon us, so uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the uh, how the Bruins do. I hope uh, 
I hope the fans are prepared for some for some highs and some lows. Some highs and some valleys. But uh, and I think ultimately, as long as the team works hard and plays hard and does their best, but, you know, I think most people recognize they're they're going to be challenged and uh, they just just want to see good effort from them. All right, well, be sure to follow Kirk on Twitter at Kirk Rudity. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Give me a follow at Mike Grinnell TV and follow the podcast at Dump and Chase Pod. Tune in next week and follow along on ESPNNewHampshire.com. Thanks for listening.